Well, today we'll continue in our passage in Matthew chapter 6. And But before I do, are there any children that need to be dismissed at this time? Or have they already gone? Nope? Okay. All right. Well, God bless you guys. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to continue in this wonderful text uh, about prayer. Last week we began in verse 5 where our Lord is teaching about the proper attitude of prayer. If you remember last week, he, uh, Jesus is really pointing out a very obvious hypocrisy of his day that I don't think has really changed a whole lot in our day in many circles. Um, but prayer, when we come to God, it's a show. And that's not what genuine prayer is. And Jesus is now beginning to show us a form of prayer that I want to take about two weeks, maybe three, to look through this wonderful form of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Is that okay? Can we look at this passage in more than just one sermon? Is that okay with you guys? I don't want to bore you or anything, but man, it is so rich to look at the nuggets of gold that God has given us. This is a gift. And I want us to remember that the this form of prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer is God's gift to us. And so I want us to understand exactly how God is teaching us through His Son how to pray. Amen. So somewhere around you, I didn't print off enough for every bulletin, and next week it's going to be in the bulletin, but uh, there's a little slip of paper about this big somewhere near you. If you could grab one of those, this is a copy of the Lord's Prayer uh, that I've given you. I want us to read this together in unison. And the reason I printed it off is because we all have different versions of Scripture. Some of us have the ESV, some of us have the King James, some have the New King James, some have the New American Standard. I think somebody, I think, said they had the NIV. That's fine. But I want us to pray this prayer aloud together as we read God's Word in unison. And I've given you the King James Version because it's just poetic. Amen? And so let's all stand in reverence as we read God's Word together. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, but our sermon today uh, will be focused on verses 7 through 9. Let's, let's just recite this Lord's Prayer together, but let's say it with an attitude of prayer. Can we do that? Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we have recited this very familiar prayer together, but we do so as it is Scripture. You have given us a form a model of prayer that we are grateful to receive. And I pray, God, today as we unpack your word, that you would reveal to us the meaning of what it means to come to you in prayer. Teach us today to trust you. Teach us what it means to be called in prayer. We fail you in this in too many ways. We fail to pray because we're too busy. We fail to pray in the proper attitude because 
we are urgently needing something, but we don't come with an attitude of gratitude. We don't come with an attitude of adoration. We don't come to you with humility. And so, God, I pray today that in your word you would teach us, you would shape us, and that we would be your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. It is awkward for me to go and ask anybody for anything. How many men in this room can say amen? How many of the wives are going, oh me? We are proud people. We, we, we hesitate to come in humility when we need something. We, we hesitate to come and ask for help sometimes, don't we? And I think what Jesus is trying to get us to see here in contrast to the performance prayers of the pagans and the religious elite is that genuine prayer, according to God's word, Jesus himself is showing us that genuine prayer begins with and continues in an attitude of genuine calling to God, a genuine desire to be with him. Now, I mean, it would be awkward for anybody here to go to a total stranger and ask for a favor, wouldn't it? How many people would go up to a stranger on the street and ask for a favor? Why? It's because they're a stranger, right? The very definition of being a stranger is that they're probably strange. Uh, but I think uh, it goes two ways. I mean, after all, this stranger is simply a stranger because we are not familiar with them, but it goes two ways. In other words, if we ask them for help, they may look at us as, well, you're a stranger. Who are you, right? So the, the fact that we are not familiar with one another, that there is strangeness between us, can keep us from coming to one another for help. And I think there's some, I mean, there's some wisdom there. <laughs> don't go up to a stranger and ask for help because you don't know what you'll get. There needs to be a familiarity with the people that you go approach for help. If you need assistance with something, who do you usually call upon? It's usually someone that you know or at least you trust. It could be somebody who is a professional. You don't know them personally, but at least you trust them. They're a professional. In this passage, Jesus here is introducing the truth about prayer. Verse 7 through 9, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then He goes into what we call the Lord's Prayer. Instead of coming to God with vain repetitions of words, like we looked at last week, we may not come to God with chants of prayer, but we can often fall into a, repeat, a repetition of prayer because we're not genuine in our desire that God would answer it. Maybe if I just keep praying it over and over again, God will hear me, but... He promises that He hears us and He knows us anyway. So why, why is it that we feel like we have to repeat a prayer? Now there's another uh, balance there between God wants us to repeatedly come to Him without hesitation. But if our attitude in prayer is, I don't trust that God will hear me, so I'm just going to say it over and over again, maybe He will, that's the attitude that I think Jesus is addressing here. Because when we come to God in prayer, verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Here, Jesus is introducing and, and driving home a point that when we come to God, we come to Him as a Father. He's our Father. 
Not some distant deity who is out to zap us. Not some pagan idol that is not personal or real. He's our Father. In this passage, Jesus introduces the truth about prayer. The truth here is that prayer is a direct request or or another word for this, a direct supplication, if you've ever heard that word. To To be a supplicant is somebody who comes to God in prayer. The genuine truth about prayer is that this is a direct connection, a request between the righteous person who is righteous in God's eyes and the connection to God Himself who alone can answer the prayer. That's the truth He's bringing in here. The most important thing about what Jesus is teaching here, though, I think, is that there's a personal connection between the one praying and the one who's being prayed to. There is a personal connection between the supplicant, if you want to use that word, and God. That relationship has to be established in order for the prayer to be genuine, in order for the prayer to be responded to, in order for the prayer to be given in an honest manner. Because if there is no connection with God, then the prayer is just going up into the air, or at best, it's just empty words. There's a genuine connection with the Father. That's what Jesus, I think, is trying to make sure we understand. Do not be like them, he says in verse 8, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The Gentiles and the pagans, they, they prayed to a false idol. They prayed to stone and wood, and there was no personality there whatsoever. Their prayers were vain repetitions of words. But the prayer of the righteous is a genuine prayer to a real, living, Holy, righteous, loving God. We forget that and we hide. And we, we, we were hesitant to pour out our hearts unless we remember and we understand that it is a real loving being, a God who desires for us to speak to Him, a God who desires for us to come to Him, a God who desires us for us to trust Him. Without that, the prayer is not genuine. Without this connection between us and God, without this connection of trust, relationship established, there is no genuine faith. And without faith, let's remember, God does not hear the prayer. That's something that many of us don't ponder much. It's it, God does call all of His creation to pray, but the prayer that He hears is the prayer rooted in faith. Even the very first prayer of repentance, if it is genuinely rooted in faith, the prayer of dear God, forgive me, I believe and I trust that you will hear me and you will forgive me. That's faith, that's trust. God will hear that prayer. But someone who is not genuinely in the faith, who is clearly in rebellion against God, who prays dear God, you got to give me this and you got to give me that or I won't believe you. That's not much faith, is it? God Here's the prayer of faith. We read this in Psalm 66, verses 18 through 19. The psalmist says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's biblical. If I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You know what that means, to cherish iniquity? To cherish your sin. I cherish my independence from God more than I cherish God. Scripture makes it clear, God will not listen. 
He continues in the psalm, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. God tells us in his word repeatedly, if your heart is genuine, if you cherish me above all things, I will hear your voice. Amen? So Jesus points out here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, the contrast between the pagan Gentile forms of prayer. Remember, the, the, the Gentiles had a form of prayer that really was no form at all. It was empty. It was vague. It had no meaning. And Jesus here, he contrasts here that the Gentile forms of prayer and the prayer to the one true God. The one thing that, may, that is different here is that the prayer to the one true God is because God, who is the one true God, he reveals himself as Father. We, we don't make up this name for him. We don't say, well, I think I want to call God Father today. You ever figure that out? You ever figure out why we call God Father? It's because he revealed himself as such. He does so through Jesus, who is the Son. And the Son, being Jesus, understands what it means to have Father. This idea of father implies a relationship. It implies dependence on trust. We've got some kids here in this room. How many kids in the room trust their fathers? You trust your daddy? All right, good. Now, there are relationships where that may not be as genuine and loving. Some kids don't have a father in their lives, and they may struggle with understanding this concept. This is why having fathers, genuine godly fathers in the lives of children is important because without that experience, a person is going to struggle to come to God as Father. Can we say that to, and preach that from the rooftops? The feminist movement has destroyed the idea of a healthy father and that there is a spiritual connection to that. You kill the father in the home, you kill any connection to the father in heaven. And I'm not going to back away from that. The feminist movement has destroyed the spiritual connections by destroying the family. Let's make sure we understand that. So we've got to think here that let's remember that Jesus here is making a contrast here in verses seven and eight between the Gentiles and genuine prayer, where the Gentiles pray with apprehension, right? And, and they're apprehensive in their prayer because they have repeated empty phrases that they speak. They don't really believe that anyone is hearing. But the child of God here, as, Je as Jesus is teaching here, he he's, he's indicating here that the child of God prays with a directness and a boldness because there is an attitude of assurance. God promises me he will hear me. So look here in verse 8. He says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. How many fathers in this room know what their kids need long before they ever show up with their hand out? Right? A lot of kids will come to their parents and say, well, you were so naive and you were just, you had no clue. Trust me, we have a clue. Right? Uh, I actually had one of my sons tell that to me here recently in the last couple of weeks. I said, really? You thought I was that naive? You didn't think I knew what you were doing? Ha, ha, ha. Amen. I knew what he was doing. You see, Jesus is teaching us here in verse 8 and following that as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, right? We have a promise that when we call upon God as Father, He already knows our hearts before we ask, right? He already knows what we need. He already knows 
our heart. Now that's, that's compelling. Now many people will take this text out of context in verse 8 and say, well, there's no need to come to God and pray if He already knows and before you ask Him, why bother asking Him? They'll take that to a weird extreme. Well, if that's the case, then why does Jesus continue with a model of how to ask? That's a, that's a mystery. God knows, but He still wants us to ask because He wants us to live and act in faith. He wants us to trust. And prayer is an act of faith. So this is a special benefit. Notice this, that, that if God knows our hearts before we ask Him, this is a benefit to us. And, and, and this is a benefit that we receive and when we frame our prayers around this confidence and we frame our prayers around being assured that God is listening and we are assured that God will respond. Now, if you, if you have that kind of boldness and confidence that number one, you're being heard and number two, there's going to be a response, you're going to be more enticed, you're going to be more in, more likely to ask. You're going to be more likely to come, right? And so God wants us to know that we should not be afraid of him. The pagan deities, they, they would live in, in fear of their deity. Those who worshiped pagan idols, they lived in fear of these false gods. But God does not want to be a God who is, we fear him out of terror. We want to fear him out of respect. We don't want to fear him out of terror. And he wants us to come in prayer. When we trust in God, when we trust in his name, we it's when we believe His Word that He'll hear us. We believe, his, we believe Him that when He says He'll hear us, we will. And with, then we are bold enough to call Him Father at that point. To call God Father in verse 8 is not just a passive thing. It's an act of boldness. To call God Father is to come to Him with assurance and strength and boldness. I am boldly calling you Father. Think about that. This is the same identity that God gives Himself. And, and, and because He actually delights in showing Himself to us as this Father, He likewise delights in the fact that His children trust Him. God delights in the fact that we trust Him. He delights in the fact that we have faith. He delights in the fact that we're calling upon Him. How many families in this room, how many parents in this room, it just makes your day when your kids trust you, at least once right? If your kids trust you, boy, that makes your parents' day, your mother or your father, right? Makes a big day. It really, it really breaks us down a father and a, a mother when the children don't really trust them enough to come to them. It's like we failed you if you don't trust us. Now, as a father myself, I mean, it's a joy and it's really a precious treasure when my kids trust me enough to come to me with their problems or with their joys. I mean, they're grown now. They're out of the house. Hallelujah. We don't have to feed them anymore. We've got more money now every month. It's great. And I'm actually enjoying the fact that they're grown men doing their thing and make, and they're becoming great young men. And a parent can take pride in that too. But it's also a joy when they call me up. Hey, Dad, let me tell you what happened today. That happens every now and then. Not as often as I would like, but it does happen every now and then. Right? But as a father, right, when that trust is broken, or if something interferes with that trust, that bothers me. When something interferes between the relationship I have with my kids, that really bothers me. 
Don't stop my kids from coming to me. Don't stop them from coming and asking me questions. I don't care how busy I am. I'm never too busy for my kids. And it bothers me if my kids say, well, Dad, you were too busy. No, I'm never, never, never too busy. I will listen. I may not be able to listen right that second. Maybe I need to take a minute to finish what I'm doing, and then I can give you my attention, but I will listen. God doesn't want anything to hinder us in the same way. He doesn't want anything to hinder us coming to Him. He wants to listen. He wants us to come to Him because we trust Him. And just like when my kids honor me with their trust, when we trust God the Father, we're honoring Him with our faith. Dear God, I trust You with what I'm sharing with You. That's a way of honoring Him. You see that here? Do not be like them in verse 8, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God doesn't want us to come to Him with an, with a spirit of being timid, right? Has anybody ever, when they go into an attitude of prayer, they come with an attitude of, oh, dear God, I don't know if I'm bothering you or not, but if, you, if you're not too busy, dear God, will you listen to me, right? Uh, I don't know if I really should ask you this, God, but uh, maybe I will. No, He doesn't want that at all. What we're going to see here is a model. We're going to see a model of boldness. God does not want us to feel timid around Him. He wants us to come with assurance, not arrogance. Big difference. Big difference between assurance and arrogance. Let's make sure we understand that. Because if my kids come to me with an arrogant attitude, even now and when they're in their 20s, uh, what's the response from Dad? Uh-uh. No, no, sir. <laughs> come to me with humility with respect, and I'll listen. When we look here at Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, we see that Jesus is, he's in, this is an introduction, verses 8 and 9. He's introducing what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. In our tradition, we call it the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, but we got to stop and ask this question, though, whether Jesus is intending to initiate a tradition of liturgy here. Do you know what I mean when I say liturgy? Uh, we don't practice as much liturgical things in our tradition, um, but liturgy is a repeated thing you do in worship every time you come together, which in some elements, we do that, right? We have an order of worship that we follow, but it's not necessarily a liturgy that we read. Um, we have to ask ourselves here this question, when, when Jesus is giving us this prayer in verses 9 through 13, is he giving us a liturgy? Um, here's what I'll agree that written prayers are very poetic and written prayers are very helpful. I have books on my bookshelf of prayers. Has anybody ever read a book of prayers? They can be very helpful in our devotion time um, if we're trying to think and meditate on things of God. There's times where I will pull out, I've got a book of Puritan prayers that are very wonderful. I even have a few books of Catholic prayers, traditional Catholic prayers that are very poetic. I don't read them as scripture, but they do help me sometimes as I'm thinking through uh, God's presence and I'm thinking through his love for me. They're helpful, but they're not scriptural necessarily. So while we can agree that written prayers are helpful, it's obvious that I think the context of what Jesus is teaching here is that vain repetition of words is not what he had in mind. So it's one thing when he says here in verse 7, don't be like the Gentiles who pour out empty phrases to be heard for their many words. And then he turns right around and gives us a model of words to follow. He's not contradicting himself. He's giving us a more genuine model to pray through. 
Now, the tradition of the Catholic Church uses this prayer in liturgy. And in the, in the traditional Latin Mass, they will recite the, this prayer in Latin. Right? And it's known as the Pater, or the Pater Noster in Latin. My Latin is just butchered right there. Right? The Pater Noster. I think that if Jesus really intended for us to recite this prayer in a formal sense, exactly word for word, and I've been to worship services where we do that. We did that now, right? As we started this time together of the sermon, I asked us to read this prayer together. There's something helpful with that sometimes, but I don't think it's required. I think that if Jesus intended for us to recite this prayer in a formal sense, exactly word for word, and this is the only words that you could pray, then we'd all be speaking this prayer, I think, in Aramaic instead of Latin because Jesus would have been speaking Aramaic. And even here in Matthew's Gospel, this is recorded in Greek. And then, of course, the, trans, the, the, the Gospels have been translated into, into the Latin Vulgate, and, and now here in English speaking, we, we, we have the English translation. So then, it, it, because if, if, God, if Jesus intended for us to recite this prayer, you'd have to ask the question, well, which language do we, we recite it in? I don't, but we don't have that problem because Jesus' intent was, here's framework for you. Here's a framework that I want you to pray. Now, this prayer that we're looking at, verses 9 through 13, it contains an, it contains an introduction to God's holiness, and then it has six petitions. You could break it down into six petitions that Jesus says, here's the model by which you could pray, Right? The first of the, of the petitions establish God's kingdom. They establish His holiness. And the last of the petitions, they express practical needs of the one who are, ones who are praying. So let's look here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Let's read this verse. He says, pray then like this. These are words of Jesus. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That right there is a prayer in itself. We be, Jesus is teaching us here that the first attitude of all of our prayers is that right there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I would encourage us all as Christians, when we do our private prayer times, you may not necessarily have to use these words, but, but think of the spirit behind the words. Come to God with this attitude of, dear God, hallowed are you. Acknowledge His goodness. Acknowledge His holiness. Acknowledge the greatness of His name. This first petition begins with the call for the ones who are praying to recognize Him as Father. Our Father. Recognize God as Father. That's the first step, right? And the only true way that this can happen Again, is if the Son of God, Jesus, who is the Son, first shows us what it is to call upon God as Father. So Jesus himself has shown us how to think about God as Father because he's the Son, right? Only a son can know this relationship to a father. Only a child of God can know this relationship to a father. So if, if the citizens of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus are talking about here, if they're in Christ, who himself is the Son, if if we are then the redeemed through this Son and the citizens of the kingdom will likewise know God as Father. The only way that we can know God as Father is to be redeemed as His children. And the only way to be redeemed as His children is through His Son. 
The only way for us to begin any prayer with our Father in heaven is to actually be his kids. Amen? Our Father in heaven. And that can only come through the example of Christ and through what he does for us on the cross. Now, while this form of prayer, it can be adopted by the individual, notice what how the words are. We do pray in, individually, but notice how Jesus gives us this model. It is a model of corporate prayer. He uses the word, our Father. It's not my Father in heaven. It's our Father in heaven. Do you notice that? I don't think that's insignificant, especially in our modern days where the, the Christian life is an individual enterprise where you don't have to be a member of a church to be a Christian. Well, you don't have to be, but I would argue that if you're a Christian, you're a member of a church. Amen? Okay, we, we, we started a membership class last week, the day we talked about this. Joining a church is not what saves you, but if you are redeemed in Christ you will be part of God's family. It's not Lone Ranger Christianity. And so when we notice here in in this prayer, our Father in heaven, it's not my Father, it's our Father. The form of this prayer starts by recognizing God together. Our Father. And this is significant because Jesus is calling on all who are children of God to recognize and revere God as He is rightly due as the Father. He's our Father, isn't He? Everyone in this room who know God as their Father, can we all agree He's our Father? Amen? Now, secondly, here we see in verse 9, our Father, the King James says, which art in heaven. Where is this Father? Notice that in verse 9, Jesus teaches that the right attitude of acknowledging God as Father is that this Father is in heaven. Now, in doing this, those who are praying acknowledge that their prayers are not remaining in right here. They're not even remaining within ourselves. They're going out from us somewhere. Amen? They're going to our Father who is in heaven. That's important because if our prayers are just focused on ourselves and our prayers remain within ourselves, we're not praying. I'm just going to let that settle for a minute. If the words that we speak to God, either audibly or silently to ourselves, stay within ourselves, those prayers are not going out. They're not going up. They're not going forth to another place to where God is. Now, before we get too far there, we don't want to fall into the trap that God has isolated himself from us and he's some distant God somewhere who's not reachable. Okay. But God, he calls on us to pray our Father in heaven. We're sending our petitions out from ourselves to him. That's important, right? We have to acknowledge that our prayers do not remain within us. They're not focused upon us and stay right here where we are. Rather, the prayers are intentionally headed somewhere. They're intentionally headed upward to a place of heaven that is beyond us. But as Jesus is establishing the kingdom of heaven, it's also all around us. 
I want you to ponder that for a minute. Heaven, as Jesus establishes the kingdom of heaven, heaven is this distant place, and in the end of all times, there will be a new heaven and a new earth established. But the kingdom of heaven is both distant, yet also right here. Because if Jesus comes to earth and is in humanity as he was, he established the kingdom of heaven right here. We're part of the kingdom of heaven right now, even though it's not yet fully realized itself. So this attitude of prayer, it's intentionally going somewhere. It's headed outward from us to heaven that is both beyond us, but the kingdom is around us. And we must remember that God, he's not trapped in a singular place. When we see this right here, our Father in heaven, it doesn't mean that we're acknowledging God is somehow trapped in heaven and can't get to us. Got to remember that. (laughs) Because we've got to remember that God, He's everywhere. While God does reside in heaven, while Jesus the Son does sit at the right hand of the Father, this does not mean that He is located at a far distant place a dimension somewhere from our creation. It's that God is everywhere. He's not in everything. That's pantheism. But God is everywhere at once. He's not a being that is trapped in time and space like you and I are. So when we pour out our prayers to God in heaven, Yes, He is in heaven, but He is everywhere. Heaven acknowledges God's sovereignty over us. And by doing this, when we say we're pouring out our prayers to the Father in heaven, we're acknowledging that heaven is this place above us. God's sovereignty in heaven is over us, and His sovereignty is over our requests. Let's ponder that for a minute. Because God is the creator of both heaven and earth. He is the sovereign creator Lord over all things. Even He's even sovereign over our petitions. When we pray to God, yes, they are genuinely our hearts being expressed. They are genuinely our heart being poured out. But God is sovereign even over those requests. So when we pray our Father in heaven, we're acknowledging that. Now, when we pray to God the Father, our Father, we got to remember that we're indivi- that even though we're individuals praying, we're part of a community. I mentioned this, but all of us belong to this kingdom of heaven together. That's part of the prayer. God is listening to every prayer at once. Every individual prayer, He's listening to every corporate prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. We've got to remember here, too, that here in verse 9, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus, I think, is reminding us that our prayers are for one audience and one audience alone. We mentioned this last week. When we pray our prayers, we begin the prayer with who the prayer is directed to. Who is the audience who is listening to our prayers? Our Father in heaven is the audience, the only audience to our prayer. That's all that matters. Now we look here in verse 9 as well. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a word we don't speak much anymore, unless it's Halloween coming up, and that's a distortion. 
right? Hallowed. How many of us understand the concept of being hallowed? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Not only are we acknowledging God as Father, we're acknowledging His holiness. The second half of verse 9 here reminds us that in the form of our prayers, we are to revere God as He is rightly due our reverence. That's what it means to hallow His name. We are revering His name. We are to hallow and acknowledge this as the highest honor because God deserves it. He is set apart as holy. And the forms of our prayers should first acknowledge this right honor of where God is. Our prayers should acknowledge, dear God, you are holy. Now, why do we do that? Because if our prayers do not first acknowledge God's holiness, then our prayers can be just empty words that comfort ourselves or someone else. But by acknowledging God in His holiness, hallowed be your name. We're acknowledging also our condition before Him. Are we not in a state of sin? What is our position before God at all times? (laughs) He's sovereign. We're not. (laughs) He is holy. We're not. Amen? We're also acknowledging, by acknowledging His holiness, we're actually acknowledging our depravity. We're acknowledging our state of need. Dear God, we need You. We need Your holiness. Your name is hallowed. Amen? It's the proper approach to coming to God. It's acknowledging that our prayers are hopeless without God's loving acknowledgement of our prayers. Our prayers have no meaning unless God's holiness acknowledges them. So by pointing out in our prayers that this truth, we're setting our minds to the proper place. Our minds are in a place of humility before a holy and righteous God. That's how we begin our prayers. How many people in this room do that? Or do we just start babbling and spurting off, dear God, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, I need this right now. How many people come to God that way? I've been guilty of that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's our Father who hears us and we can trust him in and he's holy, and he'll listen. So what do we do? What, how do we take this? What do we take away from here in verses 8 and 9? Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is just the intro. We're going to get into the kingdom next week. Okay, is that fair enough? The takeaway from this model prayer is that this is a gift that God has given to us through his Son. This is not some vain repetition of words that have no value. This model prayer is a gift given to us through His Son. And so this form of prayer is perfect. The structure of the points by which we come to God is perfect. The petitions that we bring to God in this attitude, not necessarily these words, but this attitude of the model is what we come to God with, right? 
And this is a gift that God gives us because we begin by setting God apart as our Father or in the Aramaic here, the Abba, the Abba, right? Many of us would call our daddies affectionately daddy, right? Or papa, same kind of attitude. And so when we do this, we speak our prayers in a way that shows dependence on God and that we trust in Him to reply. But it also sets our prayers apart as genuine versus useless. That's the one thing I want to make sure we understand. The reason Jesus introduces this prayer the way He does is to show us that if we follow this attitude of prayer, this is the model attitude that we come to God with, then our prayers will be genuine and not useless. How many people give up on praying because they feel that their prayers are useless? Been there, done that? Maybe if we come back to God's Word from time to time and remember the attitude and the model that Jesus teaches us here, perhaps our prayers will change. Perhaps our approach to God will change. Perhaps we'll actually come into His presence more regularly. Wow, what a thought. Hmm, is that what Christians do? Do we just come into God's presence when we show up at the church building every week, or do we come into God's presence every morning when we wake up? Amen? So when we follow this form of prayer, when we acknowledge this attitude of prayer, we're acknowledging that we're not just individuals here trying to make it through this world alone. We're also acknowledging that we're part of a larger community of Christians and that we all, as Christians, we're all calling upon God together. This is why corporate prayer is also valuable. There's something valuable about God's people gathering. The very name church means the assembly the gathering of His people. And part of what we do, yes, we, we focus on expository preaching, but we also focus on prayer. And I would love for our congregation to maybe grow into a new level together where when we worship together, we're focused in prayer as well. Maybe to a new level. What do y'all think? Let's go to that level with our Father and ask Him to guide us and teach us and show us and, and make us prayer people. Amen? Right? Let's remember that it's better to accept this gift that God has given us. This model prayer is God's gift to us through His Son. It's it's better for us to accept this gift rather than to attempt to pray on our own without knowing how or knowing what to say. How many people struggle with even what to say? This is not where I'm saying go find a written prayer and just copy it. But sometimes reading model prayers inspire us and challenge us and help us with how to pray, right? And so this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is a gift. It's better be shown how to pray than to be left alone to struggle with vain repetitions of words to an unknown God. See, the fact that God has given us this prayer is also a fact that He's showing how real and true He is A false deity can't give a prayer to anybody. That's why the pagans are babbling because they don't know what to say. But we as Christians have been given a a, a truth, a true gift from God of how to come into His presence. That is valuable, right? How many young Christians come to the faith and are then tossed into the corner? Here, go figure out how to be a Christian. And how many of them fall away from the faith? Instead, 
We can follow God's example here by giving models of how to pray, how to be a Christian. Here, let me walk beside you and show you what it's like. Uh, It's not easy, but let me show you how we figure it out. We do it together. (laughs) We do it through God's gracious gift of His Son. Isn't that amazing? So with this introduction to the Lord's Prayer, and today was just an introduction, okay? I hope that's okay. (laughs) Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That right there's enough to begin. We got to acknowledge where our prayers are going. We have to acknowledge where the answers are coming from. We have to acknowledge God's holiness. We have to acknowledge our dependence upon Him. And with this introduction to the Lord's Prayer, we have a revelation from God Himself on how to approach Him. That's what I want us to remember as we leave today. If you take nothing else away from this passage today, I pray that at least you've been reminded in one verse, actually two verses, eight and nine, do not be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Sometimes when we struggle to do something, we need a little help with the first step, maybe a little nudge. I'm so thankful God has given us this little nudge. When you come to me in prayer, begin this way. It's awesome. So let's do that now. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. You are holy. You are perfect. You're loving. You're gracious. You're kind. You're righteous. You are just, you are strong, you are gentle. You are perfection. And dear God, we are not. I pray to God, our Father, our Lord, our Master and our King, that you would love everyone in this building, no matter how young, no matter how old, I pray, our Father in heaven, that no matter what we do, you would still find favor in us. And I pray, dear Father in heaven, how holy you are, that you would love on this church, that you would use this group of people who come together for your kingdom. And I pray, dear Father in heaven, that you would not forget us, that you would not abandon us, and dear Father, that you would hear us and that we would trust you. And I pray, dear Father, that you would always protect us and keep us safe. Dear God, today as we've just read a few words from your scripture, as we've read these words from your son, we thank you for this gift. And I pray as we depart from here today that you would go with us and that you would draw us to pray to you that you would remind us that we are not abandoned and that we're not alone, that we do know how to pray because you've shown us how. Lord, I pray that you would take joy in our petitions to you, that you would respond with kindness and generosity, but also wisdom. Love us, Father, where we are. I pray that you would hear every word that we speak and every word that we pray out to you. Lord, as we close our time of worship, 
allow these words we sing to be a song of praise, but also a song of prayerful connection to you. We honor you, Father, because you, you are rightly due that reverence. Be with us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.